healthy from the inside out. This is Valley Well by a Salud, a health and wellness information program brought to you by ValleyWise Health and District Medical Group. Each week, we go in-depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Valley Well Valle Salud. I'm your host, Lauren Vargas. Here in Arizona, we are no strangers to excessive heat warnings with temperatures soaring past triple digits on many summer days. But hot conditions aren't just unpleasant, they can also be dangerous. In fact, hundreds of Americans die every year from heat-related illnesses. So what are the warning signs and how do we prevent it from happening? Joining us to discuss is Dr. Nathan Delafield. He's an attending physician and assistant professor of medicine at Valleywise Community Health Center South Phoenix, which is opening August 17th. Dr. Delafield, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lauren. As an Arizona doctor, do you ever see patients with heat-related illnesses? What Can you explain what they're going through? Yeah, absolutely. We uh, very commonly will see these patients, particularly late in the spring and throughout the summer months, um, being hospitalized for a variety of heat-related illnesses from um, severe dehydration uh, and muscle cramps to heat stroke, uh, which may result in severe organ dysfunction, confusion, um, and uh, ultimately can result in death. That's pretty scary. If someone's lived in Arizona or a hot place for a long time, if they come from that sort of an environment, do some people adapt better than others? Like, are, are some people less susceptible to heat-related illnesses? One protective factor when it comes to heat-related illness is being acclimated to the, the temperature. And so we know that that is somewhat protective, but in and of itself um, doesn't prevent heat-related illness. As we can see every single summer, there are native Phoenicians that experience heat-related illness when hiking Camelback or other local um, outdoor venues. And so while it is helpful to be acclimated to the local temperatures, it isn't sufficient to protect you. Okay. So let's just say a snowbird who lives in Minnesota most of the year, they're not going to be more susceptible. No, they would be more susceptible because they aren't acclimated to the temperatures here in Arizona. And so, uh, for instance, when that snowbird comes into Phoenix and they decide to stay at one of our wonderful resorts, uh, go on a a hiking adventure uh, in the middle of uh, the summer afternoon, they are more susceptible to rapid dehydration um, and to the elements because they've not been in the summer heat regularly. Now, that's not to say that someone from Phoenix wouldn't also be susceptible, but I would assume that that individual coming from um, different uh, different local uh, weather uh, climate would be more susceptible. So it'd probably be the same the other way around, right? Where Arizonans aren't as good of, of about dealing with super cold weather. Absolutely, and I have that that experience myself. I went to medical school in Indiana, in Indiana, and I had a very hard time in the winter months. People joke that we have thin blood, right? We're wimps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we can we can stand the heat in the kitchen. So let's talk about how heat-related illnesses happen? What happens to the body actually when that's going on? Yeah, so the body has an innate ability to set an internal thermometer. And so our body's, uh, our our brain uh, allows our, our body temperature to range somewhere 
within 2 degrees of 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. When that temperature is exceeded beyond 2 degrees, but beyond 100.4, we consider that to be technically hyperthermia. And as temperatures exceed 101, 102, and up to 104, we see that our organs become dysfunctional. We become progressively uh, dehydrated. Um, that may result in confusion, uh, coma, uh, and other, uh, other issues. And so with gradual worsening of temperature outside, we do see progressive organ dysfunction that results in significant issues. How long can it take for someone to start feeling those symptoms? Let's say I'm in this, you know, 73 degree air conditioned house and I walk outside and I'm sitting outside. How long, how quickly do those symptoms start to take place? It can happen. It, it varies and it depends on um, the individual's prehydration status. It depends on their level of fitness and uh, whether or not they're acclimated to their surrounding temperatures in general. Um, and it also depends on how hot it is outside. So in extremes of heat, such as 120, as we might see later on this summer, uh, heat-related illness can, on, can, can start within 30 minutes of being exposed to those, those temperatures. Wow. Okay, so from what I've read online, there's five types, five main types, I guess, um, according to the CDC, of heat-related illnesses. So we're talking sunburn, heat rash, heat cramps, heat exhaustion, and heat stroke. So I'm hoping you can kind of walk us through each of those and the differences between them. Um, let's start with sunburn versus heat rash. Can you kind of explain the difference between the two? Yeah, so sunburn... Uh and heat rash are really at the foundation, the sun's effect on the skin. Uh, when we develop heat rash, it is because of excessive sweating and occlusive dressing on our, on our, on our skin through um, our clothing that allows for clogging of our sweat glands. Um, and that usually results in itchy skin, vesicles that form and may pop, um, but it is not uh, a sunburn, which is actually skin damage at a cellular level from the UV radiation that is received from the sun that can cause destruction of, of the, the skin cells. So does the heat rash kind of look like little zits almost? It does, and it's very uncomfortable and itchy, sometimes described as prickly skin. Uh, and and uh, that is simply treated by going into a cooler environment, uh, uh, removing any excessive clothing that may uh, create sweat being trapped under that clothing and, and uh, trapped into those, those sweat glands uh, and, and remaining hydrated. Whereas sunburn um, is, is treated by not only removing yourself from those elements, uh, but depending on how severe the sunburn may require uh, just topical treatment for pain versus um, more systemic treatment uh, for pain and topical ointment to regenerate those skin cells. So for those of you just tuning in, we are talking with Dr. Nathan Delafield about heat-related illnesses, going through those five main types of heat-related illnesses that are pretty common here in Arizona, um, starting with sunburn and heat rash. And as you said, most of us know how to prevent a sunburn and treat it, you know, with sun good sunscreen and lotions. Um, heat rash, you were just kind of explaining um, some of those treatments. So let's talk about heat cramps. That's a new term for me when I was doing this research. I hadn't really heard of that. What what are what are heat cramps? 
I think many of us have probably experienced heat cramps when exerting ourselves uh, uh, in the in the summer heat, uh, but. It's, it's exactly as it is described, cramps that occur when uh, the body temperature rises, often associated with dehydration and loss of salt and potassium through sweat and through exertion. And so as a result, the muscles begin to cramp and can become very uncomfortable. Oftentimes it's in the legs, but you can also experience it in the arms as well. Um, and the treatment of that is, is uh, rest, hydration, and cooling of the body. Is there a way to prevent that? If you are there some signs that it's coming on, almost like a Charlie horse or something? That's exactly what it feels like. Very painful, um, Charlie horse-like sensation. The way that you would prevent it is to remain hydrated. Prehydration is important. Um, maintaining a good level of fitness when going into physical activity, particularly in uh, hot elements, is is important, and that can be very helpful. Having a nutritious diet, um, such that you don't get progressively dehydrated and lose a lot of that salt, um, and then also breaking up your physical activity in the heat is very important because we know that these types of heat-related illnesses occur more likely when you're exposed to the heat over, over a long period of time. So these next two heat-related illnesses are um, the most serious, I guess you would say, heat exhaustion and heat stroke. And some people interchange the two, but they're, they're very different. Is that correct? They are different, um, and it's along a spectrum of, of uh, disease. When we see heat exhaustion, typically it's very uncomfortable for patients because their body temperature has typically risen above 101 degrees Fahrenheit, but, but generally below 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it can result in an inability to continue physical activity, uh, signs and symptoms of dehydration, muscle cramping, nausea, vomiting. Um, Perfuse sweating uh, and uh, and mild confusion um, that really does not allow the athlete or the individual who's who's uh, physically active in in warm temperatures to continue on versus heat stroke, which is considered a medical emergency. Typically, body temperature rises above 104. There's significant confusion and impairment in their central nervous system. Um, they may also have nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and muscle weakness, but that is considered a medical emergency that, that will require uh, immediate attention. So is it true with heat stroke that you no longer sweat or produce saliva? No, that, that's a, a mis, misconception. Um, oftentimes, you will continue to sweat and, and you may continue to sweat profusely. Um, that is one of the body's mechanisms to, uh, to compensate for, for these extremes in heat. But um, occasionally, someone can become so dehydrated that that ability, particularly in humid environments, is impaired. And so you may see an absence of sweat, uh, which means an absence of the ability to evaporate heat off of the body. So we are chatting with Dr. Nathan Delafield about heat-related illnesses. He's a provider. He's going to be working at the new state-of-the-art Valleywise Community Health Center, South Phoenix. It's located at 35th Avenue and Southern, and it opens August 17th. It's a beautiful facility. If you need to make an appointment with Dr. Delafield or another one of our district medical group providers, you can do so by visiting our website, valleywisehealth.org, or you can call 833-855-9 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. So 
how do we prevent heat-related illnesses? Obviously, um, most of these, thankfully, are preventable illnesses, but um, you know, some people have to be outside for long periods of time. So how can we protect them? There are several things that you can do to try to prevent heat-related illness. I think the first part starts with trying to maintain good physical fitness. Um, good regular exercise, particularly cardio, cardiopulmonary exercise, walking, running, jogging, other uh, types of exercise is, is important. Uh, the second would be prehydration, making sure that you maintain hydration, but you start early. Um, the third would be acclimate to your environment. Don't expect to go to a very, very hot environment without much, um, much preparation and, and do well. Uh, I would recommend that we avoid activity or exercise in hot environments during the peak heat or during excessive humidity. Um, so maybe uh, staggering those activities that you perform outside for the early morning hours when it's cooler or during sunset. Um, dress appropriately for the activities that you're going to participate in outside. That means making sure that not only you have appropriate coverage of your skin to prevent heat-related illness, sunburn, and sun rash, uh, but also making sure that you have a wide-brimmed hat, uh, UV-protected sunglasses, that you have clothing that is breathable, such as cotton and loose, such that you can actually sweat and evaporate some of that heat off. Uh, the next thought would be to limit the time spent outside uh, during periods of excessive heat and humidity. And lastly, avoid alcohol uh, or stimulants, caffeine while participating in those activities and drink water throughout your time outside. Um, generally, we recommend drinking about a cup of water or eight ounces every 15 to 20 minutes to stay hydrated. So let's talk about the clothing for a little bit because there, there might be some misconceptions there as well where you feel like if you wear less clothing, you're in better shape. Um, but that's not always the case, right? Because there's some good long sleeve breathable stuff that could protect you from the sun. Yes. So the sun uh, with its UVB and UVA radiation waves can be very damaging to the skin and uh, be very detrimental when it comes to heat-related illness. And so using not only barrier protection with protective clothing, long, long sleeve, breathable cotton that is loose can be very helpful. Long pants um, also can be helpful. Obviously not layering up, but making sure that whatever material you, you are wearing is breathable um, and comfortable. Again, a wide-brimmed hat that is tightly woven can protect your head, head and neck. A wearing glasses can protect the eyes from the effects, the various effects of the sun that may affect the eyes as well. So can your eyes get sunburned? Well, your eyes can have a variety of impacts from the sun, including but not limited to developing gradual cataracts, um, uh, with repeated exposure to these uh, ultraviolet rays. Uh, sunburn isn't generally something that happens necessarily to the eyes, but the eyes can definitely be irritated and impacted over time when exposed to the sun. Okay, so in the summer, we still see the hiking trails open here in Arizona. So, um, you know, we see hikers out there with huge jugs of water. If they drink enough of this water, are they okay to be out there in 105? Because um, we see so many of these rescues every year, and a lot of them are from out of town. But um, are some people okay doing that with enough preparation and planning? 
I, I think that with, with adequate preparation, planning, a, a reasonable level of, of physical fitness going into it, it is reasonable to uh, attempt physical activity outside in the hot weather. However, you have to be very careful. Um, and being physically fit in and of itself is not protective against heat-related illness. So we would recommend trying to exercise during the cooler times in the day, particularly for those that are not acclimated to our weather. Um, drinking water in and of itself uh, is also not fully protective because there are so many other factors that contribute uh, or can contribute to progressive dehydration hydration um, and injury when it comes to heat-related illness. So I want to bring in Chencho Flores. He's our audio producer for this show, and he has a couple questions for you. So I want to go back to the topic of pre-hydrating. I know you mentioned it a couple of times. Um, just from my experience, I have, I've done a couple of, of activities where I've had to be outside and work out, and I was told uh, just what we've been talking about, having water is not enough. And, and I was told even start drinking water 24 hours before. Um, explain why having water with you is not enough and why you should start way beforehand. The reality is once you begin to experience thirst, uh, your body is is innately telling you that you're, you've become dehydrated. Um, and so in the midst of 105 plus degree weather, uh, it's easy to become rapidly dehydrated and cannot be compensated by just drinking water uh, rapidly and, and, and in the moment. So preparation is key. You have to give your organs and your body enough time to acclimate, to maintain hydration going into this physical activity. And we know that prehydration is one, one method to avoid some of these heat-related illnesses. And so you really have to start early um, instead of trying to uh, drink water rapidly during times of exhaustion. And what about um, sports drinks? Is it this is that a replacement for water? Should it be in addition to water or should we avoid it altogether when we're out in this excessive heat like this? Great question. Sports drinks certainly have a role, um, but there's nothing that replaces water. Water is, is integral to our body's function. Sports drinks uh, oftentimes replace important carbohydrates that are burned in physical activity, salt and potassium, so other electrolytes, and can be very helpful, particularly during prolonged physical activity and endurance exercise. We know that through um, research studies, prolonged exercise seems to benefit the most from these sports drinks. Uh, also acknowledging though that these sports drinks come with uh, sugar and excessive calories. So if you're drinking, you're drinking them regularly over time, that might contribute to weight gain and excessive sugar loads that aren't necessary. Supplementing them uh, with uh, with the, the, recommend, uh, the recommended amounts of water um, is definitely reasonable, but nothing replaces water itself. So my last one, and it's kind of a, of a myth that I've heard a long time. Um, I had an uncle and my dad actually used to say this, that if it's really hot, you want to drink hot coffee because it'll help your body cool down. I have no idea what that even means, but is that something that you've ever heard of? If it's really hot, drink hot coffee so your body can cool down. Well, there's something to that, but uh, I've never heard it and I wouldn't recommend it to my patients. Uh, I, I, I think that if you expose yourself to hotter, uh, uh, you know, hot 
beverages and, and hot foods, internally we may feel warm, but that doesn't change the fact that we are still exposing ourselves to, to hot elements outside, and so that doesn't protect you against heat-related illness whatsoever. Drinking room temperature or cooled beverages is what, what we recommend for those that intend to become hydrated. Not to mention that, that coffee in and of itself can be somewhat of a diuretic um, and, and contribute to excessive uh, dehydration in and of itself. So are certain people more um, susceptible as far as age, demographics, um, you know, really young kids or really old, kid, uh, old people, are they more susceptible to heat-related illnesses? There are certainly a variety of factors that contribute to um, heat-related illness susceptibility first being extremes of age, the young and the elderly are particularly vulnerable because our bodies aren't able to compensate for the extreme heat. The second would be uh, going into physical activity dehydrated. Obesity also is a risk factor for heat-related illness, as long as, along with poor physical condition, a lack of uh, remaining acclimated to your, your surroundings, a lack of available air conditioning, um, and a variety of medical conditions, diabetes, heart disease, uh, the consumption of alcohol, drugs, including stimulants and diuretics, all of these things can put you at risk for heat-related illness. We've been chatting with Dr. Nathan Delafield about heat-related illnesses. He is a provider who will be working at the Valleywise Community Health Center, South Phoenix, located at 35th Avenue and Southern. It opens August 17th, and you can make an appointment with Dr. Delafield or another healthcare provider near you by visiting valleywisehealth.org or by calling 833-855-9973. A lot of good information about um, protecting yourself and preventing some of these pretty serious um, conditions, especially during an Arizona summer. Um, as we kind of come to a close, I want to talk about how dangerous it can be to leave um, kids, pets, or anybody in a car um, right now. How, we hear about it every year, and it's devastating every year. How does it make you feel as a doctor when you um, hear about these you know, children who are in critical condition after being left in a hot car? It's heartbreaking to hear about because this is entirely preventable. We know that heat-related illness is certainly um, something that we see very happen very rapidly when children and elderly um, and pets are left in and uh, motor vehicles, um, uh, particularly during the hot months, but this can happen throughout the entire year, even during cool weather. Um, we know that the temperature within a car can, can, can go up as, as fast as, as 20 degrees in 10 minutes. And so that can be progressive and lead to significant uh, harm uh, when, uh, when, when this occurs. So we definitely recommend that not, uh, not leaving any vulnerable um, individuals in a motor vehicle, even if you crack the window, because that's not enough to prevent heat-related illness related to these vehicles that can become extremely hot. So even like a quick trip, you know, running into the store for 10 minutes, is not a good idea. Definitely not a good idea. Distractions happen, things happen, um, and our, our young and old are particularly vulnerable to, uh, to the effects of, of extremes in temperature. Uh, and so we definitely would not recommend that whatsoever. Absolutely. Well, um, we really appreciate you taking this time, a lot of good information. As we come to a close, our, what are some of the major takeaways you'd like our audience to know if they're going to remember you know, a couple things from our conversation today? 
Great. Um, to take the heat very seriously, if you're not used to our, our weather, or even if you're a seasoned Phoenician, it's important to remain hydrated, try to uh, perform physical activities during the early morning hours or later in the afternoon when it's a little cooler outside. Remain hydrated and trust yourself. If you're feeling dehydrated, thirsty, if you're having muscle cramps, it's time to remove yourself from the outside elements, cool off and, and hydrate. Um, it's also very important to wear protective clothing when you're outside, protecting your eyes, your skin, protecting your body to make sure that you don't become hydrated. And should you experience any heat-related illness, whether it be heat cramps, heat exhaustion, seeking medical attention is, is always a good idea if there are any concerns whatsoever. Heat stroke is a medical emergency that should be cared for uh, at a local hospital. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, we do have a blog on valleywisehealth.org if you missed any of this discussion. A lot of good information there. Dr. Delafield, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Lauren and Chencho, thank you for having me. See you again next time. We hope you enjoyed listening to Valley Well Via Salute, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. There you'll find blogs and videos from our healthcare providers, and you can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.